Aloha, Mission Church. Welcome to Palm Sunday. I'm so excited to celebrate, not just today, but the beginning of Holy Week and right into Easter. And um, But today we are focusing on this really special day that we call Palm Sunday. This is the day that Jesus arrives into Jerusalem, and we call this Jesus' triumphal entry, and it's triumphal because of the celebration that takes place in the lives of the people that greet Jesus as He is walking on the path, coming into Jerusalem. This story of the of Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry is found in all four Gospels. But today, we're going to take a look at it from Romans chapter 12, beginning at verse 12. And so I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. And as it was written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Now, at first, the disciples didn't understand this at all. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and these things had been done to him. Can you picture this? Jesus arrives into Jerusalem on a donkey and the people begin to gather and cheer for their coming king. And as they cheer, the expectation for who Jesus will become gets higher and higher and greater and greater because the people began to hear all about who Jesus was. They heard about this great teaching that this rabbi was bringing of a new way to find salvation, not through the obedience to the law, but by grace through faith. And this was such a new teaching. And along with that, they heard about Jesus' miracles. He turned water into wine. Did you hear that? He fed 5,000 people with 12, uh, five loaves and two fish. And then they have 12 baskets of, of bread left over. They heard about all the different people that Jesus healed. And then here in John chapter 12, not only did he heal someone, but he brings Lazarus back to life and he has dinner at Lazarus' house. And, and this Lazarus, the man who Jesus had brought back to life, can you imagine the testimony he began to tell, which he was doing? And he was telling everybody, Jesus brought me back from death to life. I was in the grave for four days. And he brought, he brought new life into my body, breath through my nostrils. And because of this, everybody got excited about this Jesus. And when they heard about all that he was doing and that he was coming to Jerusalem... Oh, everybody started to gather. So Jesus gets on a donkey. And as he's riding in, word starts to spread around town. And spontaneously, people are coming from everywhere, waving palm branches and putting the palm branches on the ground along with their coats to, to pave the way for their king to come into Jerusalem. Oh, 
It was an exciting, exciting time. So many put their faith in Jesus. These, uh, these, the Jewish people were turning from what they were believing and putting their faith in Jesus. And, and the expectation that they all had of Jesus was He would be their Messiah, their liberator, the one that brought them freedom. And the, 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 the thing that oppressed them the most was Rome and Rome's heavy thumb on the people of Israel. And so, as Jesus rode into town, people were screaming and they were cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna, do you know what the word Hosanna means? It means save us, right? They were saying, save us, save us. And, uh, and they had the expectation that Jesus would be their Savior. This whole event that takes place was prophesied long before. And, uh, and, and in fact, in, in uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 9, verse 9, it says this, uh, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See? Your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that's verse 9. But what's just as important is verse 10. And this is what verse 10 says. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. And, uh, and the disciples, unfortunately, we know this in John chapter 12, verse 16, they didn't realize what was happening at the time. They had no idea that this was the, the result of prophecy coming to pass. And it wasn't until after Jesus was crucified and rose again that it all be, uh, came to them. But had they known this passage of Scripture, had they known not only how Jesus was coming in, riding on the donkey, but why Jesus was coming? It wasn't to bring some kind of, of rebellion and revolution against Rome. In fact, it says we're not going to use chariots or war horses or bows. This is not going to be some kind of political revolution. This is going to be a new and a different revolution. One that starts in the hearts of people and emanates through the nations. But even Jesus' own disciples didn't have that understanding or that idea of who Jesus really came to be. And so we know that Jesus didn't come to, to, to liberate Israel from Rome. But that's what his disciples were thinking. And that's what all the people that gathered were thinking at the time. That they were going to be free from the oppression that Rome had on them. And when they shouted, Hosanna, they were screaming, save us from this oppression. Save us from Rome. And so as Jesus enters into Jerusalem on the first, the early part of the week, people are cheering for him. They're shouting Hosanna. They're excited about Jesus. And, and as, as we go throughout this week, my hope and prayer is that you read along in the gospel narratives of what happens through Holy Week. Because as you do, what you will find is at the end of Holy Week, as we get to Good Friday, those cheers of Hosanna become jeers of crucify. 
Those, those that saw Jesus as, as, as Christ began to, to call him a criminal. <laughs> they thought of him that way. They, they, they thought he was a fraud by the end of the week. And, and this was just one short week. And so much changed from, from cheering on their Messiah to, to, to wanting his death. What happened? What caused this great change to, to turn about in the hearts of the people there in Jerusalem? The thing that we read in the New Testament, the thing that we know is that Jesus didn't live up to the expectations that the Jews had placed on him. And that was a big problem. They wanted liberation from Rome, not sin, right? And that's what Jesus came to do, was to liberate people from sin. And so, instead of pointing at Rome as being the bad guy, the finger was pointed at them as sinners. And this, this is what they struggled with. How dare you? And this brought great anger. And when I stop to think about what happens in this whole scenario and how it so easily applies to us. I come to realize that when people struggle with anger, it's primarily because we have expectations and the reality of what we expected was, was missed. And the greater the expectation was and the reality missing it, <laughs> sometimes the greater our anger could be. Can you imagine what the people of Israel, the Jewish people felt when they had this great expectation of Jesus to liberate them from Rome and he didn't come to do that at all? Think about the last time you got angry. Just take a moment and think about it. I hope you got it in your mind. <clears throat> I can tell you why it happened. It's because you had an expectation of someone or something. And what you expected didn't turn out the way you thought. And that led to some frustration or disappointment. And because of that, it grew and built and, and it turned to anger. And that, that's the genesis of what happens uh, when expectations and reality do not come together. And what I have found in life is this, that people with unrealistic expectations of others live in constant conflict. Have you noticed that to be true? I mean, I see it all the time, right? I've seen it in families where parents have great expectations and unrealistic ones for their children. And, and because of that, there's great conflict. But I also see it the other way around where children have great expectations for, for their parents and, and they can't be met and there's conflict. There's expectations that are unrealistic that happens in families, that happen in the workplace. It can happen even in sports. I'll tell you a quick story. I used to coach basketball, fourth to sixth graders, right? And one year I was coaching my little team. And the first game of the season, a father sat behind me in the stands just yelling and screaming and shouting. He was, he was angry. And uh, he was that father, right? That parent. So I had to turn around and confront him. And I said, um, excuse me, what's going on? What, why are you so angry? And his response was, 
My son, he missed three layups already in the game. And I was taken aback. And and I realized that his expectation for his fourth grader, who was four feet tall, (laughs) was to make all of his layups. That's utterly ridiculous. And I called him on it. I said, that's that's not a, 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 a fair or a realistic expectation to have on your child. He's in the fourth grade. He's four feet tall. He's not going to make every layup. He'll miss more than he makes. And, and I said, if you were playing out there with people your size, you'd miss layups too. And so he said, well, what, what should I expect? And I said, that's easy. Expect him to hustle and play hard and have good sportsmanship. But if you expect him to make every shot and every layup, you're going to be really disappointed and angry all the time. See, it happens, right? And I was tempted right about at this point to uh, talk about the expectations of the church of a new pastor. (laughs) But I'm not going to do that. Because today, what we want to do is talk about Jesus. And uh, so I have a question for you. It's not what's your expectations of me. But I'd like to ask you a serious question, and that is, what is your expectations of Jesus? What are your expectations of Jesus? Is Jesus your problem solver? Is he your job provider? Is he your constant healer? Jesus can be many things to many people. But if we have unrealistic expectations that we place onto Jesus, the probability is that he won't be able to meet the expectations that we have on him if that's not what he came to do. An easy way to figure out what our expectations of Jesus are is to look back at what we pray for and even how we pray. When we pray, do we pray only before our meals and before we go to bed? That says something about who we see of Jesus. Or do we pray to Jesus for all of the needs and wants that we have all the time? And that's all we pray about. Do we ever stop and listen and adore and love and worship Jesus in our times when we're talking to him and listen to him? Because that really can help the relationship that we have with understanding who Jesus is to us. You'll either, you'll either fall in love deeper with Jesus or be thoroughly disappointed with Jesus, depending on what your expectations of Jesus are. You see, the Jews here in this story in John chapter 12, they turned hard against Jesus because they didn't have the right expectations of who Jesus came to be. So the question that you might be asking yourself is, well, what what should I expect Jesus to be? Or who should I expect Jesus to be to me? And I think that's a good question. It's a fair question. It's an important question that we ask today on Palm Sunday because the disciples and those those people that welcomed Jesus in to Jerusalem, they had the wrong expectation and, and, and they were greatly disappointed. 
my hope is that we never are disappointed in Jesus because we, we need to know and we want to ask Scripture, ask the Bible, why did Jesus come? And what are God's, in God's Word, what are the expectations that we can have of Jesus and we should have of Jesus? And what I want to do is just take us back to Luke chapter 2. Yeah, the birth of Jesus. And during that time, the angels made an announcement. And this is what they said. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, for the Son of... Uh, and He's the Messiah and the Lord. And, and what this passage here in Luke chapter 2 gives us is it gives us a lens that we can see Jesus through to build our expectations of who He is so that we can lean into the relationship that we have of Jesus to make it grow stronger. In this passage of Scripture, we find three, you can call them, titles of Jesus. Jesus is the, uh, Jesus was the Savior was born, right? Today in the town of David, the Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The Savior, our Messiah, and our Lord. What an amazing, uh, three really amazing words for us to grapple with in our relationship with who Jesus is. So let's take a look at it in each one and, and just talk quickly a little bit about who Jesus is. Jesus is our Savior. And the name Jesus, or Joshua, which is a form of Yeshua, means God is salvation. And Jesus, we can expect to find salvation. And he even told us, Jesus, he even told us in Luke 19.10, why he came to earth. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. He came to us to seek and save us because he knew we were lost and we needed a savior. So we can expect and lean in on the fact that Jesus is our savior and for him to lead us into this journey to find, to find an abundant life, not just here on earth, which, which is so good, but a life beyond here when we get to heaven. We are saved into uh, the kingdom of God. And He is the one that we can lean in and expect that when we put our faith and trust in Him, He becomes that for us. In Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. There's no other place we can find salvation. And that is why we can lean in on Jesus and expect Expect that when we have a right relationship with Him, with assurance, we can know that we are saved. The second title that we have here in, in Luke chapter 2 is that Jesus is called Messiah. And the word Messiah means the anointed one. In Greek, that word Messiah is translated as Christ. So we, when we say Jesus Christ, that title Christ is Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. And what Jesus was anointed to do was exactly what he came to Jerusalem to do for the people there. Not to start a revolution to overturn a government, but to start a revolution to overturn our lives and change our 
hearts. That's the revolution that Jesus wants to do as the Messiah, the Anointed One. To, to, to reach us where we are at and, and to bring a revolution in our hearts to radically change us, to change us to become more and more like Him. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 16. Hear the word of the Lord. It says this. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And now this, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Our Messiah is wanting to revolutionize our hearts and, and form us and shape us so that our lives can be a beautiful reflection of who He is in us. And when that reflection takes place, we're going to remove the veil from our faces. I love the, the old NIV that says, and we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed. And that's the key word here, that we are being transformed. How? into His likeness by way of the Spirit of God that is at work within us. That is what the Messiah came to do. And then the third title is Lord. And this word Lord is not a word that we use too often. It's a, like an English word, the Lord of England or something like that. <laughs> but when we think about that word and how it's used there, it's used in, in a way to, 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 to give someone the... Uh, uh, the role of, of ruler or boss or, or, or the master of our lives. And the question you ask is, why would we want to do that and allow Jesus to lord over us? Which is, I think, a, a good and a fair question. What, what I want to do is just take you to this beautiful passage of Scripture that in the end raises Jesus up as Lord. But we hear why he becomes Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, it says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And this is why. Who, being in the very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped or used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. What this passage says to us is this, that Jesus is God, but he didn't reach to, 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 to lord over us with his power and godliness. In fact, he did the opposite, and he made himself a servant to all. If I was going to ever give my life to a Lord and allow a Lord to, to rule over me, it's going to be one that loved me so much that that Lord came to serve me and even be willing to die for me. Whew. Therefore, verse 9 says, 
God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh, church, today (laughs) is Palm Sunday. And my prayer today is that we take hold of these three titles of Jesus being our Savior, our Messiah, and our Lord. And we lean into that so that we can live into the expectations of all these things, of who Jesus is to us. And I promise you, when we do that, you will never be disappointed. But instead, you'll be fulfilled. And the relationship that you have with God will grow beyond you can even imagine. So today, will you pray with me? Let's pray for Jesus to be our Savior our Messiah, and our Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for Palm Sunday and the reminder of who Jesus is to us. Today, if if someone has not opened their heart to you, Lord Jesus, would you find us and find them and be their Savior today? Would you lift them up out of the miry clay And bring them into the throne room of heaven to begin a new relationship. So that we can be called children of God. And when we find ourselves being people who are saved, would you come then, Lord, as Messiah and radically transform our hearts so that we can be more like you. Help our lives be a reflection of you. And then with the same humility that you had, would we humble ourselves to call you Lord, to give you all, and to serve you with all of our hearts. May the expectations we have of you be fulfilled in those ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. 